0: the message, amen? I mean, that—that that is all right. Go tell it on the mountain. I love it. Well, welcome uh, to Northridge Church. We're glad you're here. Uh, those of you who are here for the very first time, you're a first-time guest, welcome to Northridge. This is kind of how we roll, um, and uh, we're just glad to have you here today. Um, so real quick, I want to tag off of what Ryan Meester said. I, I just feel like we need to kind of do that. Thank you, Patrick. Appreciate it. Um, This Friday is Jingle Jam, and we started this for the very first time. Our very first run at this was last year, so we've only done this once. And we had the intention of making it an annual thing, but let me just tell you, he kind of said, like you saw, if you were here, you saw what happened. This whole building was cram packed with people. We don't, we didn't count. We're going to this year because we need it for planning for the next years. We really do, like badly. Uh, but what happened? We're, we're not sure. It was, it, was, it was at least 300. We think maybe we eclipsed 400 people crammed into this building. It was phenomenal. I mean, we just blew the doors off. Okay? So all that to say, <laughs> we need a lot of help. Okay? Now, I know. You look at me, and you're like, yeah, you need a lot of help, right? <laughs> I get that. I'm not talking about that, right? I'm not talking about your pastor. But I'm serious, like, we need to show our community what it looks like for a free event. They don't have to pay. They don't have, it's open to everybody. Let's show them what it looks like to serve them unbelievably well, especially when they don't have to pay anything. Amen? So what I need you to do is, I'm glad for the amen, but now you need to follow the amen with, so be it, action, get it done. <laughs> so seriously, I'm uh, just asking for all hands on deck. If you have Friday night available, even at all, yes, I want you to be here with your family. Absolutely. Invite people for sure. But I need you to go on to the link, sign up. There's a lot of slots there. We need all hands on deck. We need your help. So would you do that? Okay. Just let's let's go crazy. This is going to be phenomenal. It's going to be a blast. And we're going to see some great things that God does. We're just going to have a good time. It's really just a party. That's what it is. We're going to have a good time. We're going to show. It's kind of like our big give, one of our big gives to the community. Hey, this is for you guys. Let's have a blast. Okay, so if you can do that, that would be awesome. Uh, So go on our website, under connect, events, sign up on that link, all right? Um, So we started a brand new series last week called A Puzzling Gift. And if you notice, if you see the puzzle that we have over here, last week was unexpected, and then this week is the word uncertain. So we're really talking about four different parts of the Christmas story, four different themes, all centered around four different specific words. So last week unexpected, this week is uncertain. So as I was thinking about the word uncertain, I was thinking about a lot of things, but um, I had to go back to a story back when I was a teenager. Uh, this was just a couple of years ago, obviously. Um, no, it was a few years ago when I was a teenager, and uh, my family and I were camping in the Bighorn Mountains, which is a subset of the Rocky Mountains in north central Wyoming, and this, this mountain range is pretty serious. The, the top two peaks are over 13,000 feet in this, in this wilderness, and so some serious mountains, and we were camping, and so I, I had found out about this one particular mountain. It was actually the second highest mountain in this particular mountain range, and it was called Bomber Mountain, and I'd heard the story of why they called it Bomber Mountain. They named it Bomber Mountain, not only because it was the second highest peak, but because a World War II bomber during World War II was traveling from the West Coast to the East Coast, and actually something went wrong, and they crash-landed on the top, the very top of Bomber Mountain so they renamed it Bomber Mountain. And so I told my family, I was like, you know what we should do? We should take a day, one of our days that we're here, and we should go hike up Bomber Mountain and see if we can find that wreckage. Number one, I love climbing mountains, free climbing mountains, like where we don't know how, what we're doing. And then let's get up there. I, I love that. Clearly, you guys know. Most of the time, I don't know what I'm doing. So this is awesome. And then the second thing is, I'm like, hey, there's something to find. Like, we maybe could find the wreckage because we know it's still up there, from what I understand. And, uh, and so we go in there, and we're, we're like, we decide, let's do this. So we get up one morning, and we go, and we're going to hike up Bomber Mountain. The problem is, all we have is a topo map, a topographic map of the area. So we generally know where Bomber Mountain was. We're kind of uncertain, to be honest. We're like, okay, it looks like this trail goes there. There's no trail that goes up Bomber Mountain, but there's a trail that gets us close to Bomber Mountain. Okay, we'll try that, right? And we knew that it was seven miles in just to get to the mountain, so we knew it was a ways, and then it's going to be seven miles out. We weren't backpacking, so we have to get in, climb it, get back out all in one day, and this is mountainous territory, but what we didn't know is what we were very uncertain about is the terrain, and how long it's going to take, and how our bodies are going to be affected by the high elevation, all this stuff, and so we're hiking along. In fact, my, my brother, Bryce, who's four years younger than me, again, we're both teenagers, but we're hiking up, and, and at about halfway in, he gets this, starts getting this massive headache because of the elevation, and you know elevation sickness kind of thing and so he has to turn around and head back but my dad and i we keep going on because i'm like i want to get to this mountain right and so we're going on going on and eventually we're getting so late and he's like brent i i just i got to be done like this is i'm too tired so i'm just going to hang out here if you want to go on up to the mountain because we got to the base of the mountain i'm like let me just go take about an hour and hike around the mountain and see if i can get to the top and see if i can find the wreckage so i get up there but it's it's getting like late afternoon it's going to take us two to three hours to hike out of the mountains, just to get out, and it's going to be dark. And so I'm searching around, searching around. I can't find the wreckage, so I have to climb back off the mountain. My dad and I hike back to camp and, and all this stuff and never get into the top of my mountain, never find the wreckage. Now, a big part of that reason was all of the uncertainty. We didn't know exactly where we were going. We didn't know how to get there. We didn't know how difficult the terrain was. Let me tell you, I, I knew it was going to be difficult, but it was crazy hard to get up to there. And so there's a lot of uncertainty that made us not achieve what I thought the mission should be, right? Was just to reach the top of Bottom Mountain and see this wreckage. Well, today what I want to do is I want to look at a part of the Christmas story. It's actually a part that we looked at last week, but I want to unpack it a little bit differently today. And we're going to see what the uncertainty was, how it affected Mary and what her story is, And what it caused in her to have to lean on God. All right, so we're going to go to Mary's part of the Christmas story. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1. If you like to follow along, it'll be on the screen as usual. But let's look into the uncertainty of what Mary was facing in the Christmas story. All right, Luke chapter 1, starting with verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said greetings. "Favored woman, the Lord is with you." Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. So I'm going to pause there for a minute. I want you to, I want you to just try to put yourself in Mary's shoes okay? She, she woke up that morning. It was a normal day, and she's doing whatever she's doing. I don't know if she's doing laundry. Maybe she had a day off, and she's scrolling Facebook for a little bit, right? I don't know what Mary's doing. Whatever Mary's doing, then all of a sudden, Gabriel's like, boom, there he is, right? How many of you just like freaked out, or in man's would like peed your pants, or you know, whatever, right? I mean, some of it, she's like guaranteed like, whoa, this has got to be really scary, right? Gabriel just shows up right in her midst and starts talking to her. Like, hey, Mary, how you doing? Whoa, who are you? And how'd you get in here? Right? And so this angel shows up and she's like, okay, this is clearly something big is happening here. right. And something totally different. But then the angel has to address Mary as to why he's there. Okay, so then he's there to give her this news, right? So follow on next verse, verse 30. Start, listen where it is. Gabriel says, don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, because he can clearly see she is scared. She's agitated, like she doesn't know what's going on. For you have found favor with God. And then listen to what he tells Mary. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. All right, so Gabriel talks to Mary. He kind of calms her down a little bit. And then he gives her the news that he's been sent by God to give her. Now, we all heard what Gabriel, I just read it, what Gabriel says, right? Let me just sum up. Gabriel says, okay, Mary, basically the gist is this. You're going to have a baby. It's going to be a boy. You're going to name him Jesus. Oh, by the way, he's the son of God, and he's going to rule over Israel forever. All right, That's kind of the summary. Like, that's, that's all he gives. Now, now we kind of focus on that, and that's pretty amazing stuff. Right? Mary hears all that. It's like, wow. We're like, oh, the Christmas story. Oh, la. Right? We have to feel like we have to sing angel songs. Right? because we heard the Christmas story. But I want you to go into Mary's shoes. And I want you to think about, this is what the angel Gabriel told her, but this is all he told her. I want to talk about what he didn't say. You know what the angel Gabriel didn't say? For example, he didn't give her a parenting book. (laughs) What to expect when you're expecting. We all know we need that one. Right? We know you need a book. Like, okay, I don't know what we're doing. I know when Laura and I came home with our first child, with Jackson, I mean, we it was kind of a freak out. Like, I don't know if we can do this. Like, we've never done this before. What? what how, does this, how, does, how does this work? Like, we've had the nurses. We had, we've been asking a thousand questions of them. We're like, no, is this normal? Is this okay? Oh, they're coughing. Are they okay? Yeah, I'm sure they're like, yes, yes, the baby's fine, right? And so Mary, it's like, there's no parenting, but plus on top of that, here's here. I think, I don't know. I think that this would have been helpful. An instruction manual on how to raise the Messiah. I mean, this isn't just a normal baby, right? This is the son of God, like the savior of the world. There, there are going to be things that are a little bit different. Like does his bedtime need to be different? Do we need to feed him more vegetables or because he's the Messiah, can he go just with pancakes? Like is, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't know, all these questions that Mary probably has, maybe not right in that moment, but you know, there's a lot of uncertainty, right? Uh, maybe, how am I supposed to tell this to Joseph? No, seriously, right? How am I supposed to explain this to my family? My parents, I'm sure, are gonna be just totally fine with this, right? How am I supposed to tell everybody? Like, what am I supposed to do? How do I start that conversation? Would have been nice to hear it from Gabriel, right? <laughs> Any one of these things, be nice to have this, but there's a lot of uncertainty, wasn't there? Gabriel says, Hey, you're going to have a baby. His name's Jesus, son of God. Peace out, Mary. Go to it. Whew, and he's gone. Whew. I mean, talk about dropping the bomb and just letting it go off, and then I'm out. There's a lot of uncertainty for Mary's life all of a sudden. Everything she planned just got completely blown up. It is totally different. There's a little bit of uncertainty. So I want to just pause for a moment and ask you. When life gets uncertain for you, it's, it's a little murky, it's a little muddy, and you're not sure where you need to go, what you need to do, or what God's doing in your life. What is your tendency? What's your go-to MO? How do you react? Do you freak out? Do you shut down? Do you stay in bed longer? Do you go to your best friends for help? Do you just try to ignore it? I think it's going to get better, right? What, are you, what is your tendency when, when things are unclear, uncertain? Well, with regard to the Christmas story, let me just tell you, this is interesting. But the, these la- last week, we talked about the, un, uh, uh, you know, kind of unexpected. And this week, we're talking about uncertain. And, and I just tell you, I had a plan for the message today. And I'm kind of working some of that. But then this doesn't happen often. Usually it happens in the middle of the week uh, where God kind of tweaks what I think and what I think we should do. And he's kind of informing me as to why I need to change some things. But this week, I got to the very end of the week and I had already written everything out. And at this point, I felt like we needed to talk about the wise men. But for whatever reason, God told me to delete it all. In fact, I wasn't entirely sure, and so you know what I did? I deleted it, and you know how you can copy and paste it? I put it in another Word doc, because I was like, I just don't know. I mean, it feels like I, I kind of put that together, and it feels like I did some work there, and I'm not sure. <laughs> but no, I, I deleted it out, and I put it in another Word doc. I ended up deleting it later. And, and instead of talking about the wise men, I feel like God, he, he really said, I need you to just rest on some other things today, okay? And, and I would just, so I'll say this just to kind of connect some dots where, where I think God wants us to go. When you think about Mary and all the uncertainty in her life now, when Gabriel showed up that day. If you think about Joseph and all the uncertainty there, right? I mean, he threw his lot in with Mary. We talked about that last week, right? He didn't have to, but he did. He took on the shame, the shame that Mary had to feel by accepting her and saying, nope, I'm still in this. So let's do this. God called us to this. Think about the wise men. The wise men, they, they see a star and all they know, literally, all they know is I have to, we have to follow the star. They don't know where the star is going. They don't know how far it is. They literally travel maybe hundreds, perhaps thousands of miles if they came from Asia. Some people think that they maybe came all the way from Asia. We're talking months of travel, months of their life, and they don't even know where they're going. In fact, when they get to Israel, we know that they didn't know where they're going because when they get to Israel, they have to go ask King Herod for directions. By the way, side note, this is funny. We know that these guys are kind of strange because they ask for directions. Like, men know. It doesn't matter if you know where you're going or not. You don't ask for directions. That's silly. Anyway, that's just a side note. That's just my own thought. But, but, I mean, they stop at King Herod and they ask for directions. They're like, where's the king, you know newborn king of the Jews? And they find out that King Herod is a threat to them and to Jesus. Well, that was pretty uncertain territory. And then they have to go back home on a different road. All these things, the whole Christmas story, the shepherds, everything was uncertain. Everything was uncertain. So the Christmas story reveals something to you and to me. Something about God that I think is really important and that I think he wants us to rest in for a minute. And that is that quite often God does this to us. He shows us a direction, or he tells us something that he wants us to do or to be, but then he doesn't illuminate the whole path. Some of you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Because God has called you to do something, you're like, I don't know. (laughs) Sometimes he says, delete part of your, like a third of your message. I don't know. (laughs) I'm going to paste it over here just in case. Right? Because it's uncertain. It doesn't make any sense to me. There's a lot of times that God shows us a direction to go, but then he doesn't illuminate the path to get there. He doesn't show us all the steps that we need to take. Let me just tell you that you're sitting in a practical example of how God does that. Northridge Church came to be exactly this way. When Laura and I lived in North Dakota... God was very clear that he wanted us to move to Dane County, Wisconsin and plant a new church. He didn't tell us anything else. He just said, you're moving to Dane County, you're going to plant a new church. That was it. I was like, well, where and what kind? And by the way, I've never even led a church, let alone started one. Seriously. And, and so, so we moved to Dane County. Laura and I moved to Dane County and we lived on the south side of Madison town, kind of in between Fitchburg and Verona for about eight months. As we prayed and as we, we knew that we were supposed to plant a church, but we didn't know exactly where. Is it Madison? Is it Verona? Is it Wanakee? Is it Middleton? Is it like suburb? Is it downtown by the campus? Is it Like where are we supposed to go? We don't know. We just know Dane County. That's it. Well, eventually then God said, okay, I'm going to show you kind of the, the laser pointer. Now, now we need to know where we go. Okay, Wanakee the place. All right. So then we moved after eight months, we moved into Wanakee. Right. Still, I still have this side job that I'm working down on the south side of Madison. So I drive from Wanakee down to the south side of Madison, work there, drive back. Still starting to plan and figure out the church. Then the next question is, what are we going to call the church? Okay, right? We need to work through that. Okay, the name is Northridge. This is the mission. This is the DNA. Yes, all the churches are like, glorify God, bring people to salvation in Jesus. All kinds. Of, but how are we going to do that? Right? We're going to do go tell it in a rocky way. Right? That's what we're supposed to do we had to determine that. But then that kind of one of those big ultimate questions, again, he didn't show us any of these steps until we got right up on it, right? So it's kind of like we're driving and then the headlights all of a sudden like illuminate. Oh, oh, okay. And, and one of our big questions was, how in the world do we even start this? Like, how do, how do you start a church? Now, what we knew is most churches start by, they set a date, right? This particular Sunday, this is our launch date. We're going to do everything, like we're going to have this big thing, and we're going to launch on this Sunday, and that's what we're going to do. That's what most churches do. But for whatever reason, we felt like that's just not us. We, we don't feel like God wants us to do that. That doesn't make sense to us. We only have seven adults. It'd be kind of awkward with seven people. Right? It's not really a church. It's kind of like a small group. Right? And so what can we do with seven adults? And by the way, that seven adults had grown from three. <laughs> in the months that we lived here in Wanakee. And so what we came to, what God became, it became very clear. We need to start with the children's ministry. We're not going to start with Sunday morning services. I know that seems weird, but we're not going to do that. We're going to start on a Wednesday night, and we're going to have midweek children's ministry. Let me just tell you, and, and you guys have heard this part of the story. I haven't told some of this, but um, that Tuesday night before that Wednesday, that first one, where we'd sent out things and said, hey, we're going to have this new thing called Northridge Kids. Nobody knows anything. I mean, I couldn't hardly sleep Tuesday night before. I trusted in God, but I was just anxious. I was so nervous. So I said, God, is this the right step? You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like this is the right step, but I, then you second guess, and you're like, I don't know. I feel uncertain. But then we get to that Wednesday and it was the right step. God miraculously brought 26 kids that first night. Just and, 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 and it was that time and many other times before and since that I know, okay, God, you've got this. I need to keep my hands off. I just need to be there. I just need to be faithful. And the truth is, there's a lot of uncertainty in how God works. He just leaves it that way. There's a tension there. And there's this, there's this belief that we have, this, this thing that is called faith. You guys have heard of faith, right? And you've heard people say, well, you just need to have faith. You just need to have faith. Well, what in the world does that mean? Have you ever wondered that? What does it mean? Like, you just have to have faith. Just have faith. Okay. What do you mean? On well, Hebrews chapter 11, there's this big, long list. It's called the Hall of Fame of Faith, is what it's called by some people. I don't know who called it that, but whatever. That's what it's called. That's what I've heard. I'm like, well, okay, whatever. But it's a list of people in the Bible in God's word who did amazing and great things because they had incredible faith or trust in God. But what's interesting is right before you get into that list of all those people that had great faith, Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews gives us a one verse definition of faith. I want you to hear what he says. This is in the NIV version. I didn't put it on your handout that way. Sorry, that was my bad. But this is the NIV version. Listen to what it says. It says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Confidence in what we hope for and assurance or certainty of what we do not see. Hey, okay? It's let me, let me just try to illustrate kind of how this thing of faith works, right? So if, if you kind of think of life a little bit this way, think of life uh, maybe like a, a, a set of stairs, okay? Yeah, those are stairs. <laughs> Looks like a dinosaur's back, but we're going to go with it. I am not an artist. I'm, I'm, a, I'm just not an artist, okay? I'm a pastor, people deal with it, all right? Okay, so these are, these are your steps, though. And, and so if this is kind of how life works, right? Okay, as you step up in life, one thing that I know God does with you and I is that he's always calling us greater to deeper to closer to him, right? He, he's never like, you know what, you're good. You can just stay there. Or he's never like, you know, I want you a little bit further from me. I need some personal space. God doesn't do that. Okay? God wants us always. It does not matter who you are. He always wants you up and closer to Him. Right? Always. That's it's just a given. God also always wants you to have a closer relationship with Him through Jesus. It's, it's just a given. Okay? So the problem with that is what that means is we constantly have to take steps of faith. Right? We constantly have to step up, we have to constantly step into our faith in Jesus. And what that means is we have to up our level of trust. Now, let me give you a couple of tendencies or twin constants in this reality. Okay. Let's say that you're on this step. Okay. That's a little scary because it sloops down because uh, <laughs> of how I drew it. But anyway, you're on this step. Okay. For example, okay. This is, this is where you're at in life, in your spiritual walk with God, in how much you trust God, whatever proverbial way you want to say that. Okay. This is where you're at. Okay. Let's say you're on this step. A couple of things about you and I, The human tendency is that when we're on a step, we like that step, right? This step is comfortable. Give me a blanket, give me some hot chocolate, and I'm good, God. Thank you. I like this step, right? As humans, our tendency is this is what we know. We don't want to move from that step. We certainly don't want to go to that next step because there's uncertainty up on that step. I've never been to that step. I like this step, God. I'm very good. And, right, and these are big steps, right? So if we got a person there, right? Now we're getting worse with the artistic uh, value. But like, I mean, you can't see the next step until you get there, right? It's just how this works. I know it'd be nice to be like, survey the land, how's the step look? Let's test it. The boards are creaky, but we're good right? There's no testing there. It's like, you've got to go to the next step or you don't. And God calls you, he's always calling you up, calling you deeper, always. And the question, I mean, this is one of those things that we like safety, right? Now here's, let me give you another dynamic of this step. As human beings, let's see if this isn't true. What we tend to do as humans, I know I do this, is I tend to look at everybody else in my life and around me and people I know and people I don't know, and I'm worried about where they're at and what steps they're on more than what step I'm on. Does that sound familiar? So what that does is, why do we do that? Let me tell you why we do that. Because we surround people, ourselves with people, on our own step. Why do we do that? Because we look around, and when God calls us up to that step, we look around and say, well, God, they're all on this step. I love these people. They're good. Like, if I step, I I might kind of, they might think I'm strange. Like, I like these people. These are good. And it also, we look down on these people that are a step or two behind us in our faith, and we're like, man, they really need to get to work. Boy, I wish they had trust in God. I know you don't say that out loud, but let's be honest. We think that. Oh, yeah, right here, right here. We believe that. We're like, well, I'm doing better than they are, though. I mean, they don't, they don't even believe in God yet. Really? And then we look up these people. You know, we think about most of these people, these people that really are trusting God at a higher level. Weirdos. <laughs> you do. We do, don't we? we? I mean, we do. We think that way. We're like, oh, those guys are fanatics. Like, they live for Jesus every day? Wow. Well, Sundays are good, but, I mean, God doesn't have place in the schools. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah, I just said that out loud. Yeah. Oh, God doesn't have place in the business world. Really? (laughs) Oh, dear goodness, we need God in all those places more than he is. We kicked him out. And now we wonder why we have issues. And we think of these people as fanatical and weirdos. And then when God calls us, we're like, I don't want to be one of them. Right? But the truth is that God is constantly calling us up. And the question is, are you willing to take that step? Even though, I, I, just, I, I guarantee you, it's going to be uncertain. It's not going to be comfortable. It's just not. I, very rarely have I been comfortable at Northridge. And it's constantly because God is calling us to do something new and different and bigger, right? There's always something. And so this, this constant of God is always calling us up and up and up and there's a lot of uncertainty with it and we get that. But we need to kind of follow him. And, and the truth is, this is how God works. Do you guys understand? This is something that he shows us, not just in the Christmas story, but in the Bible, right? That he's gonna call us to that extra trusting level, That extra faith, and he says, okay, you're good here, but now I need you to go here. And then when we get here, there's always another step, right? And then there's there's like a hundred more steps that we never are sure that we're seeing. And we're like, yeah, but I'm good here. Yes, you are, but then I have another hundred levels that you don't even know about. And so what we'd like to do is we'd like to hang out and be like, I'm good. And God says, you are good, and now I want to make you better because you can trust in me even more. I mean, think about the Bible. And I don't have time to read all these stories, but just think about this. Think about Moses. When he brings the Israelites out of Egypt, right? And then then the the Egyptian army is chasing them. They're, They're ready to take them out. And so they're trapped against that big body of water. You remember what God does, right? A lot of us have heard the story of the parting of the Red Sea, right? So the water parts. But did you realize and do you remember what had to happen before God does that? God does the miracle, but God tells Moses, I need you to step up on this big rock out in front of your entire, the entire nation of Israel, and I need you to stretch out your hand and your staff over the water. He tells Moses to do this, and then he parts the waters. Could he have done it before Moses got in front of everybody? Yes, he could. He could have, but he didn't. Why didn't he? You know why? Because he was calling Moses from that step to that step. What happens if Moses gets up in front of everybody and he raises his hands in the staff and the water just keeps staying there? At that point, people are like, okay, Moses lost it. We need to take him out as leader, right? He loses all his leadership coin. And that's a huge risk in Moses' mind, I'm sure. He's like, God, this seems crazy. You want me to step up in front of everybody, just put my hand out? What are you going to do? Well, I'll just watch this. You know, okay. That was pretty awesome. Right? The same thing when the Israelites are getting ready to cross into the promised land. Right? There's, there's, they're at the Jordan River and, and Joshua's there and he tells the priests, you need to go into the river. And it's at flood stage. So it's like rushing crazy water. And he says, you need to go in and they're carrying the Ark of the Covenant. Like their, their most valuable thing. They're carrying the ark of the covenant into the river and God doesn't do anything until they get into the water. And then he stops the water. Jericho, same thing. Walk around the city seven times for seven days. And then the seventh, on the seventh day, you're going to go seven times. And then you don't say a word. You do not do anything. You're silent every single day. And then the last time, the very last time, I want you to shout. Yeah, that's not weird. I mean, imagine the people inside Jericho watching them and like, there they go again. I mean, they're just quiet. Like, what are they doing? Are they having a parade? I mean, it had to look just ridiculous. And, and I get it. Some of you guys don't believe in these stories. Let me, let me just challenge you to do something. Look up the archaeological finds and facts from Jericho. Just do it. Look it up. You're going to see a lot of arguing over what time it happened and this date and this date and blah, 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 right? Between all the archaeologists. But just look at what they found at the site of Jericho. Just look at what they found about the walls. I'll just give you that challenge. A little research project this week. I mean, think about Jesus and the feeding of the 5,000. I mean, just do you remember that story? Jesus feeds 5,000 people with uh, five loaves of bread and two fish. But remember, do you remember what happens? Okay, they find this boy with a sack lunch. Okay? And, and so they say, hey, can we use that lunch? Yeah, we can use the lunch. All right, five loaves, two fish. We've got 5,000 people. I don't think it's probably enough, Jesus. <laughs> right? And so Jesus blesses it. Right, And then they start passing the food out. But I I want you to catch something. And if you've heard me preach on this passage, I've I've talked about this once before. The food didn't multiply when Jesus blessed it. I'm not saying the blessing wasn't important. It was important. But the food did not start multiplying when, when he blessed it. You know when it started multiplying? When the disciples started handing the food out. In other words, the disciples had to trust that there was going to be enough food there and I joked, I know when I preached on this before, I joked, it's kind of like, you know, Peter and the others are like, take a really small piece of bread. <laughs> right? And then there's like more bread, and then there's more fish, and there's more bread, and there's more fish. And they had 12 baskets full after. But it did not multiply until the disciples had to trust that Jesus was enough. You see how God works? He asks you to take the step into the uncertainty when you're not going to be sure. And he says, I'll show you. I'll show you. Just trust me. I need you to take that step. I know it's scary. I know it's uncertain, but I need you to take the step. Well, like everything, I don't know about you, but as a person, I operate way better when I know what's going to happen. Anybody in the room with me? I am way better with certainty. (laughs) I'm way better with certainty. I I just am. And I'm probably better with certainty more than other people. Like some people are really big risk takers. Let's jump off the cliff. Oh, I should have grabbed the parachute. No, it's a good idea. You know, me, I'm like, check the parachute. Let's try the parachute. Let's check it again. Let's try the, the, actually, the secondary parachute. Let's pull it. Yep, it works. You know what? Let's try it one more time just to make sure. That's kind of where I'm at. So certainty is kind of a thing. So let me just give you a practical example of this, how I know I operate as a human. And, and you guys will probably relate to this. So as a lot of you know, Laura and I hit a deer a few weeks ago. That's not the way to take a deer, by the way. <laughs> the hunters have it right. This is a more expensive way to do it. But anyway, um, so we got our deer, right? But we totaled our van in the process, all right? Airbags and everything. And so again, this story is for another time. But, uh, but as a result, we had to look for a new vehicle. Best process in human history ever. Love looking for vehicles. <laughs> Bam, 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 bam. I just want to hit myself in the face, actually, more than that, but whatever. And so, so we had to look for a vehicle. So we, we spent about a week like looking online, going to dealerships, just doing all this stuff, right? So we finally end up at a dealership to drive this van that we found online. And they had it all ready for us. We jump in the van. It's like, oh, this van is terrible. It smells funny. You know what I'm talking about? You kind of get into a vehicle. You're like, what is that? It's kind of that one of those. And we look at it. We're like, wow, I don't, know. I don't know what they were driving in this van. i was like, this is a mess. It just wasn't good. So then they like, here's another one. And the salesman didn't even bring that one out. He said, if you didn't like that one, you're not going to like this one. <laughs> Seriously, it was like, okay, we get it. It was worse. Got it. And then another salesman comes in. And he says, hey, I-, I hear you're looking for a van. I have this van. It's actually two years older than what you're actually looking for, but it has less miles. And we looked at the price. We're like, oh, the price is pretty decent. Actually, it's pretty good. Uh, and so, yeah, let's try it. Well, the problem was they had just traded it in the day before. So it hadn't been clean, hadn't been inspected, like nothing. Yeah, this is like God's provision stuff too. So again, this is a whole other story for another day, but I'm just telling it for a specific reason. So we're getting down to it. We're haggling over the price. My favorite thing. Oh, oh hate it. We're haggling over the price. We're kind of getting down to it where like, Laura and I are pretty serious about the van. But the problem was they took us for a ride in the van, but we couldn't drive the van because they haven't inspected it yet, right? And so Laura and I both made it known, but at the very end, it was kind of like, listen, guys, so we're, we're, we're pretty serious about the van. You know, we don't want to be like, the van is awesome. Make us pay as much as you can. But we said, you know, we're pretty interested in the van. Straight face. Very good. But we need some things to happen for us, right? But, but what's, what, I, what I told them is, you know, it's going to be really hard to purchase this van without us actually sitting in the seat and driving it. We need to see how it feels when you hit the accelerator, the gas, you know, the, the brake, like see the sight lines. We need to feel how the seat feels, right? You guys get this? We need a test drive. We, need, we don't need to ride in the van. We need to drive the van. So they, they worked some things out. We figured it out, bought the van. But here, I bring it up to bring up this. You and I, our human tendency is we want test drives before we step. Right? We want safety nets. We want certainty. God, I want some promises. If I go here, I, I need to know some things before I go. And th- that's before I step. I'm not going to step and then you show it. I, I, I want to know beforehand. It's kind of like the test drive. Can I be honest? That's not generally how God works because he loves you more than that. It's kind of like us tying our kids' shoes for them. At some point we know, right, or or just any of those things, we've got to help them to do it on their own. They have to trust. You have to trust. I have to trust. God does not allow us have test drives sometimes because it's the best way for us to learn our trust and our faith in him so i started with that story about bomber mountain a few years later i took a group of guys and we went back and we took some backpacking gear and we camped out way above the tree line next to Misty Moon Lake is what it's called, and then hiked the rest of the way up to Bomber Mountain. I told them about this whole thing. I had never found it, but I really wanted to find it. You know, I couldn't get it out of my heart. And so I took these, this group of guys back. We backpacked in and we climbed up Bomber Mountain and, and we climbed up and then we got off the trail. And we, now we have to climb up all the rocks and cliffs and all that stuff. We're free climbing across the boulder field. And we got to the place where I had been years before. Maybe not the exact rock, but like, like I can even describe it to you. I could take you there. If we were in the mountains, I could take you to the spot because I can see it. I know where it is. And so I'm standing in that same spot and I'm like, guys, I was here. And so I think we need to keep going up the mountain to the ridgeline, to the very top so that we can see where the wreckage would be. I I, I think we'll probably see it when we get to the top. Well, wouldn't you know it? We climb over two more boulders. We're talking literally less than a hundred yards. And the wreckage was right behind us, right there the whole time. I was literally, if I would have gone another 10 feet, then I would have been above the incline to where I could see it. Crazy to me. Also kind of frustrating, (laughs) but crazy. And as I was thinking about that, I, I was thinking, I think that that's how you and I operate. I think we go in and we decide we're going to do this. We're going to conquer this mountain. This is my plan. This is who I am. I'm going to find this. This is my mission. I'm going to find this thing. I'm going to achieve this thing. This is where I'm going to get. And we decide we're going to do it on our own. And when we don't find it, what we don't realize, it's not because it probably wasn't there or that we were way off. It's because we didn't lean and trust in God to show us where we were going and what we needed to do. And it could be within 100 yards of us. But we just needed God to illuminate what was there. Every one of us has a purpose. But do we trust God enough to find it? And that's what the Christmas story is so much about. So I want to leave you with this question. You know, in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, I didn't uh, have planned to share this verse with you. It came to me last night as I was praying and, and running through this. But it says, we walk by faith, not by sight. I don't know about you, but I do a lot better walking by sight with test drives and knowing for certain before I step. But God tells me all the time, he's constantly showing me, nope, you're going to need to take the step before I show you what the step looks like. I need you to walk by faith and not in your human intellect, not by sight. So let me ask you, what do you need to trust God for? What do you need to surrender It is not a question for any one of you in here what you need to surrender or if you need to surrender. It is a question of what it is. Trust me, I know I've got multiple things. Some things that I know and a lot of things that God hasn't even shown me yet. Steps that I need to take. But those things that you might know already right now in your life, where is God asking you to trust Him? And maybe you haven't yet.